Welcome to the Journey Ahead podcast, Aging Well in the Chippewa Valley. I'm Tom from Volume 1, which presents this podcast in partnership with the Aging and Disability Resource Center of Eau Claire County, with support from our sponsors, Grace Home Respiratory and All-Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions. Here's your host, Lisa Wells. I'm Lisa Wells, Dementia Care Specialist with the Aging and Disability Resource Center of Eau Claire County, and you're listening to a podcast on Aging Well in the Chippewa Valley. The goal of the podcast is to provide education about aging well, living with dementia, and staying active and healthy in the community. So thank you for joining us. Today, we will discuss normal age-related memory loss versus dementia. We know most everyone becomes forgetful from time to time, forgetting where you place the car keys, why you went into a room, forgetting an appointment, and as we age, most of us become increasingly forgetful. I'm more forgetful now that I'm in my 50s than I was when I was younger, but when does an ordinary memory lapse indicate something more serious? Can you brush it off, or when should you go to the doctor? Well, joining us today is Dr. Joan Hamblin. Dr. Hamblin is a family physician with a CAQ, Certificate of Added Qualifications, Board Certified in Geriatrics. She is a medical director of the Prevea's Geriatric Assessment Clinic, and the clinic belongs to the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Institute, which is a consortium of 40 memory clinics throughout the state. They collaborate on care of patients with dementia and their families in Wisconsin and see patients from their clinical practice, as well as take referrals on people with memory concerns. She's also the program director of the Eau Claire County Prevea Family Medicine Residency Program that trains doctors to become family physicians. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Hamlin. Well, thank you. So to, to get started, I'm kind of interested in knowing, I think a lot of people would be interested in knowing too, is as we get older, what happens to our brain? What happens to our brain as we get older? So our brain is an organ just like the other organs in our body. And as we get older, they slow down a little. So if you were able to run the four-minute mile when you were 20, you could not do that at age 30, let alone 40 or 60 or 80. On the other hand, you might still be able to complete the mile, but it would just take longer. So the same thing is true for the brain processing so you can get a task done, but it might take you longer. You're, the synapses aren't as quick. They don't fire as fast, so things are a little slower, but you can still get the job done. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as we get older, then, you know, people really start to worry. They, you know, they think right away, I'm forgetting things. So, oh, my gosh, you know, could I have dementia? Could I be developing Alzheimer's disease? You know, what really is... You know, what's normal age-related memory loss? And then let's talk a little bit, then going into what what's dementia. So let's start with what's normal age-related memory loss. So normal age, you know, you had mentioned earlier about forgetting things. Uh, that's a pretty common phenomenon, and uh, we, we would call that normal aging. Uh, it's sort of like uh, forgetting your grocery list at home and you get to the grocery store and you don't have it and you don't remember all the things that were on the list. Um, Now, if you went to the grocery store and uh, forgot it was even a grocery store, that would be a more serious Mm -hmm. uh, forgetting, if you will. Um, And so that when you're Minor lapses don't really interfere with life other than, you know, are an annoyance to you, that would not be considered dementia. Dementia would have to be of the severity level where it now is interfering with your uh, day-to-day living. Uh, So 
forgetting to go to the grocery store when you have nothing in the refrigerator, that would be serious. If you forgot your list at home, um, that's just uh, a normal aging phenomenon. So when do these when do these kind of memory lapses tend to occur? Can they occur in your 30s or is it more likely to be when you're in your 50s? You know, when when can we expect some of these memory lapses to happen to us? So memory lapses, certainly as you get older, may occur more often, but the other surrounding situations can play a role into it. So you don't have to be 50, you could be 20, and if you have significant stresses, so for example, you didn't get a good night's sleep, uh, you might not be firing quite as quickly and remember all the things you could if you got a good night's sleep. If... um, you were under the influence of drugs might also uh, increase your memory lapses. And certainly stress. Uh, You've got multiple things going on, trying to juggle lots of things. It's not uncommon to have something drop. And that is not dementia. Uh, That's, you know, you're, you're getting more, having the brain has to process more than it's capable of doing in a um, rapid period, uh, let alone an accurate at all times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you brought up some things, um, some other things that can affect memory. So you've talked about sleep, um, medications. You know, there's got to be a host of things that can cause memory problems. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about what are some of these things? So we can certainly talk about sleep. Sleep could be uh, a problem. You know that you were interrupted. Um, well, I know or, for me, if I don't sleep right, I don't, my brain does not work right. So I know sleep is a big one. So it certainly can be the actual amount. You know, if you go to bed at three and you have to be up at seven, uh, that's a, for most people would be too short of a time to adequately rest your brain and be ready to function well the next day. On the other hand, uh, sleep apnea, where you may go to bed at a reasonable time, but your sleep, even if you don't know about it, is interrupted multiple times so that you never really get to that good REM sleep that rejuvenates your brain and sort of uh, sets down your memories of that day. Uh, So in both of those regards, sleep can be a problem. The other thing is some of the medications that people take for sleep can also interfere with that processing the next day. Uh, And even something like Benadryl, which you may be taking for allergies or for sleep, can make you a little foggier the next day and your memory is not as good and your functioning is not as uh, sharp. So can things like, um, you know, chronic health problems, um, you mentioned stress, maybe not eating right or not being physically active, can some of those things lead up to affecting your memory as well? Well, unfortunately, uh, All the things that you mentioned can play a role. So for an example, activity, uh, we all sort of know if you are physically active, your sleep will be improved. On the other hand, if you aren't able to physically get out and be active, you may have interrupted sleep. And then we're back to square one that we had just talked about before. Uh, The same thing is true for eating. Uh, Eating lots of uh, carbohydrate, sugars, uh, and especially to excess, uh, the brain gets foggy. We all know about, you know, how we feel after we have a big lunch. Uh, that's a good time to take a little snooze come the mm-hmm, afternoon mm-hmm. as opposed to if you had a um, 
less uh, high caloric lunch, or maybe you took a walk after lunch, your mind would be more focused and uh, sharper. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if, you know, if we're concerned about our memory, um, that's really starting to affect some things, you know, do we, do we go to the doctor? Can we, um, you know, is it something to be really get worried about? Um, as again, we know that more than you know, 5.8 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's disease and the number's only growing because, you know, we've got a huge aging population that's growing. So, you know, what can, what do people do if they're really concerned? Well, I think if one is concerned, it's, um, you will never be in the wrong to go and seek help. Um, I must admit in our clinic, it is rare for somebody to come to us, um, without a uh, claim that's not justified. Mm -hmm. We see way, way more the opposite where, yes, there are things that people note, but they want to say it's just normal aging or I'm under too much stress or it'll be better tomorrow, I'm just having a bad day. And so that it's not uncommon for someone to appear in our clinic where they've been having symptoms for over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so seeing a physician early on uh, is a, a good thing to do because, um, like I said, often we either see them in our clinic where symptoms have been going on for quite a while or worse than that, there's a crisis and um, someone gets in trouble serious enough that, you know, they end up in the hospital Someone's wandered off, especially here in the uh, northern Wisconsin in the middle of the winter. That is not a safe thing to do, and that occasionally happens, and the mm-hmm. person then ends up being hospitalized, but only to find out that there had been problems going on many months before that, but they were sort of, um, you know, sort of tossed off as well. Mm-hmm. My mother's just getting older. It's no big deal. Mm-hmm. And there's a stigma, right? Oh, I mean, there's, there's definitely there's a stigma. stigma. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know... Um, It's a little less now than, say, 10, 20 years ago, and I'm hopeful it'll be similar like, you know, cancer used to be the big Mm -hmm. uh, secret nobody wanted to share. That's less common now, but certainly with dementia, um, people wrongfully may be ashamed of it, of themselves or their loved one, but, you know, it is a medical condition and certainly nothing to be ashamed Mm -hmm, of. mm -hmm. And really seeking, you know, going to the doctor early on to see... really to find out what else could it be, because it could be so many other things. So, you know, people are concerned. It's just so important just to go in and just find out what it could be. And then, you know, just, you know, as in my job, just knowing that if there is a diagnosis, you know, there are things that we can do to um, to, to support and to help and things that people can do to take better care of themselves, maybe too, right? Absolutely. The other thing is, you know, there are certainly um, medicines and things that people do that can add to the problem of, you know, mental processing. So, for example, dementia is very common. And, you know, dementia is an entity that we have good treatment for. And certainly, even if you are having memory issues, but you have depression on top of that, Mm -hmm. that only magnifies the Mm -hmm. situation. Um, You know, hearing loss, that's another big one. Uh, When People may not be hearing everything. They may appear as if they're demented, uh, where in fact uh, it really is a hearing deficit. The Mm -hmm. same thing is true for 
blindness. Uh, you know, in order to live every day of our life, we get lots of cues. Um, and how well our brain is able to process those cues makes a big difference in how we perform. Mm -hmm. And so you want to maximize all the areas of um, stimuli, if you can, to better improve your performance, mm -hmm. no matter what age you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you've, you've talked a little bit about, you know, what is dementia? We know that I think there are a lot of different types of dementia, but something that people get confused a lot about is, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's disease. Is it the same thing? No, it's not the same thing. You know, um, how, how can you explain a little bit about the difference and maybe the different types of dementia? Sure. Well, dementia is sort of a, a big basket. It includes anything where one's mental uh, functioning, their cognitive abilities deteriorate such that they are it's interfering with their life, that they need extra help to live well. Um, now, as I said, dementia is just a broad term. It doesn't really convey what the etiology is. So um, Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. Now, it tends to be the most common type of dementia in elderly people, and so that's why you hear a lot about it. It is a uh, progressive uh, and therefore terminal uh, dementia that over time will get worse. It affects memory, but it also will later on affect other areas of cognition, whether it be orientation, whether it be language. And then in the end stages, it also will affect physical functioning, the ability to walk, the ability to eat. Um, so that's one type of dementia. Mm -hmm. Uh, another type of dementia is what we call a vascular dementia, and that would be where the brain loses function due to strokes. Um, they could be one major stroke or it could be multiple little strokes. And that one, depending on where the damage is in the brain, will affect that functioning of the brain. Um, so we often see someone have a stroke and we see that, you know, their left side is paralyzed. Mm -hmm. But the same thing can happen with parts of the brain. So you could have a part of the brain that affects your ability um, to speak meaningful language. Uh, you may have a part of the brain that affects uh, your ability to understand right from left. Mm -hmm. uh, but those are uh, what we call a vascular dementia. Then you have dementias of um, other parts of the brain. You've heard of uh, frontal lobe dementia. That mm -hmm. affects mostly the um, front of the brain, and that can deal with um, your impulse control, uh, your ability um, to behave in socially accepted manners, um, and we have uh, Lewy body dementia that may affect more to do also with uh, motor skills. So falls might be quite mm -hmm. common in that form of dementia. Um, and then we have a category of uh, dementias that are related to toxins. So someone who might have had encephalitis, someone who mm -hmm. uh, maybe had abused uh, recreational drugs and really uh, lost part of the brain functioning we can also have it when someone um, is asphyxiated where they can't get enough oxygen for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a result, 
um, the brain goes without oxygen for a critical time. And as a result, um, part of the brain is damaged so that um, they can't process things as quickly. Um, so that, and there's a whole host of things that can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of those, when one does testing, would show that the different areas of cognition are affected. And if it's severe enough, it would be called dementia. Mm -hmm. So is it is it difficult to get a diagnosis? You know, I, I work with, you know, this is what I do. You know, I work with people living with dementia. And oftentimes, um, you know, I'll talk with them, you know, did you get a diagnosis? Um, and most of the time people will say or families will say, oh, it just it just says dementia. It doesn't say Alzheimer's disease, disease. it doesn't say vascular dementia or Lewy body. It just it just says dementia. So I guess, you know, is it is it just really difficult to, to diagnose? Well, yes and no. Um, so in some cases, it's very obvious what the problem is. You know, someone was perfectly fine, and then they had what appeared to be a stroke and, you know, had a CT scan. It shows evidence of uh, damage to the brain to say, and then now they have cognitive, not just physical, but cognitive problems. That's a pretty easy one to say it's a vascular dementia. Um, but some things are more uh, difficult, something that happens gradually. Maybe they have other comorbidities. Uh, you know, do they have sleep apnea? Do they have other things that can contribute uh, to slowing of the uh, processing of the brain? And there one is relying on neuropsych testing. Mm -hmm. And even among the experts, um, some would say they're only about 80% correct. Mm -hmm. So for example, Alzheimer's, the true gold standard would be a brain biopsy. Obviously, we don't do that when people are living, so it would only be done <laughs> post-mortem, and that's how we discover that uh, we're not uh, 100% with our diagnoses that we pick up from getting the patient's clinical history, looking at imaging, doing the neuropsych testing, and looking at how the disease has progressed over time. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, of course, there's uh, we're often dealing with older folks, so it's not surprising they don't have just one problem. Uh, they may have multiple problems that contribute to the dementia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, before we go into talking a little bit more about what, what it might look like to come to your clinic, I think we're going to take a quick break, and um, we'll be right back. We'll get back to the podcast in a minute, but first I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Grace Home Respiratory. We're excited to have their support for the podcast because just like us, they're locally owned and operated. If you or someone you care about needs medical equipment or supplies, wheelchairs, walkers, hospital beds, portable oxygen concentrators, even CPAPs and BiPAPs, Grace Home Respiratory is right there to help. They're committed to helping you live a life of independence. They realize that shopping for the specialty medical products you need can be a challenge, which is why being locally owned and operated is key. They do everything in-house from their location right in Altoona. So if you have a question about billing or anything else, you know you'll be talking to someone from just down the road. Find out more about Grace Home Respiratory online at ghr-ec.com, or you can call them toll-free at 877-230-1622. Now... Back to the podcast. So, Dr. Hamlin, can you talk a little bit about, you know, if somebody was um, wanted to get 
you know, to go to the doctor? Would they go to their primary physician first and then get a referral to your clinic? Or how does how does that work? Can they just come to one of the memory clinics? And then um, can you talk too about what what does that look like when somebody would come in? Kind of a big question there, but yeah. So uh, patients can come, or their families can come, both with uh, referred from their physician, uh, or they can be self-referred. We take patients both ways. Regardless of how you come, one of our uh, first steps is to collect the history on the individual. So this would be office notes. This would be if they had previous hospitalizations or surgeries. Um, This is, once again, getting the history is very, very important. Uh, Is this something that happened acutely? Is this Mm -hmm. something that's been going on over many months, even years? Uh, Those are important features in making the diagnosis. so that would be the first part. Someone would either make the referral either from themselves or from their physician, and we would collect the history. Uh, the other part is we have family members giving us a history as well. So what have they observed? Because uh, it's not uncommon that they've been to a physician, but they've done like regular physicals, and there's really not even been any mention of cognitive problems. On the other hand, the family may well have noticed that um, dad got lost uh, coming to visit us uh, for the first time, you know, in 20 years, or that maybe is repeating the same story, mm-hmm. um, or uh, forgetting things that were uh, mentioned in a previous encounter, um, may not recognize or mix up the grandkids, mm-hmm. something like that, that they've been noticing uh, that would not be reflected in the office notes or mm-hmm. hospitalization. Mm-hmm. Um, but the hospitalization may include things like, you know, they had surgery and they became delirious uh, post-op mm-hmm. um, where they were kind of confused and family members were called in and, you know, once they got home, everything was fine, but it was kind of scary at that time because that can uh, certainly occur more frequently with people who have cognitive abilities, and then you stress them like surgery, give them pain meds uh, in an unfamiliar environment, Mm -hmm. and then they become really quite confused. Uh, So those can be tip-offs. So the history gathering is really, really important, and part of it also is gathering what kinds of resources are available to the patient and to their family. Um, If it ends up being something like Alzheimer's disease, it is really, really critical. Often what we can do is improve the environment so they can live uh, healthier and longer mm-hmm. with changes in environment. And uh, that's not something a physician can write a prescription for, but rather it requires uh, the family as well as local agencies as your own, uh, the ADRC that can help facilitate mm-hmm. some of those You could write a prescription. Plans to uh, contact the Aging and Disability Resource Center. There you go. And actually, we do that. I Mm -hmm. must admit, we don't put it on a prescription, but (laughs) that is uh, one of our top uh, suggestions we have for families. Mm -hmm. Um, But so their history is is very important. Um, And then the actual assessment itself, we sort of divide up. It's a a couple appointments. 
the first appointment, the family members spend time with our social worker who is going over the history, making sure we've got that correct. Uh, as you might imagine, the individual mm-hmm. who often is having cognitive problems is the last to know about it. So uh, it's important that they can freely uh, describe what they've been observing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and likewise, the social worker goes over what resources they've used or might they be able to use. And while that's going on, uh, myself, our RN, uh, are doing the neuropsych testing, the neurologic exam uh, that's actually quantifying on an exam format, at least, where the deficits are. Mm -hmm. So this process takes about an hour and a half, two hours max, uh, and then the family and patient go home, and myself and my team get together and go over all our findings and piece them together with the historical um, factors to come up with a diagnosis, and more importantly, what recommendation do we have for the patient and the family? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then they will come back for a second visit, and we encourage them uh, to include all the people who are meaningful to the patient. So it may be the daughter who lives in town brought the patient in to be evaluated initially, but in fact, on the follow-up, we will try to include not just the daughter, but, you know, the son who lives in Texas and the other daughter who, you know, may even live overseas. That's the real beauty of technology. Mm-hmm. We've been able to right. include distant family members for the follow-up where we go over what is the testing, what we think the diagnosis is. And then the real critical part is where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. Um, what kinds of, uh, what's the, uh, if it's Alzheimer's, what's the, uh, time course that they should be expecting, uh, and then what kinds of resources are available, who can you uh, get help from. Um, certainly the ADRC locally is wonderful, but also the Alzheimer's Institute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they deal, even though it's called Alzheimer's, they deal with all forms mm-hmm. of dementia. So they are wonderful resource people for patients and their family. Mm-hmm. So do you have any... Um tips to, you know, encourage people to uh, go to the doctor? Because I that's one thing that I hear a lot from families. I, you know, I can't get mom to go. She won't go. Um, they may be concerned that there's, that could possibly be dementia, but there's just that, you know, that struggle to get to the doctor and find out. Um, what, is there anything that you would say to people to encourage them? Because there are benefits in knowing if it is. So I like to phrase it as opposed to, we're not going to go and find out what's wrong with you, mm-hmm. mom. I know there's mm-hmm. something wrong with you. As opposed to, we want to help you, and uh, we're not sure what the next step is. Uh, and, you know, maybe we're doing this wrong. Maybe there's something out there that can help you. Like I said before, you know, dementia is what people may be afraid the most of, but they don't realize, for example, hearing is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh or that there might be a medication that they're taking that's making them mm-hmm. uh, interrupt their sleep or uh, is affecting their um, functioning. And it may well be something that they've been on for years that when they were young, it didn't affect the brain the way it does now that it's an older brain. 
and it does make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to look at it from how can we make your life better uh, is the approach I would use as opposed to we've got to find out what's wrong with mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. Well, and a lot of times a person will say, well, there's nothing wrong with me. My memory's just fine, right? <laughs> My memory's fine. Well, and, and you've got the daughter in the background going, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, you say, well, and then, you know, that's great. Then that's what it, they'll find then. Mm-hmm. And we'll have to look at something else. Mm-hmm. So I think really approaching it more as I like what you said about not, you know, what's wrong with you. I, I like that, making a little bit more positive step. Um, so I, I appreciate that because I think it's such a, it's a scary thing to think about. It's, it could be a scary diagnosis. So, Well, and often, you know, it's sort of like the person who doesn't want to come in years ago because they thought they might have cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the same sort of thing. On the other hand, if you don't get it checked out, you'll never be able to get it helped. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to a crisis point, you know, if mom, for an example, wants to live in her home, uh, getting help may be the best answer to having you live there as long as you can mm-hmm. safely. Mm-hmm. Ignoring it might be a um, recipe for you know slipping on the ice or being down for hours and then ending up in a hospital, and then right. now you don't have a choice in right. where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sticking with us for today's topic, and we'll be right back here in just a minute. I want to take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors, All-Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions. Mobility challenges don't have to mean leaving the home that you love. All-Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions specializes in residential and commercial elevators, stairlifts, scooters, and more. The All-Star team offers a free home assessment, and they can help you find the products you need to get around your home and the rest of the world safely and effectively. For example, they have more than 100 scooters in stock, so you'll be sure to find one that meets your needs. You'll find All-Star right here in the Chippewa Valley on Halley Road in Chippewa Falls, and they've got locations in Hudson and La Crosse, too. Learn more by calling All-Star at 715-598-7511 or by visiting allstarmobilityllc.com or allstarelevatorllc.com. Now, back to the podcast. So, Dr. Hamlin, one thing that um, I think it's just so important to consider and to really share with families, just like we, you know, whether it's cancer, whether it's any other type of diagnosis, one thing that we always want to be able to do is, is to share some hope. And so when it comes to Alzheimer's disease or any of these other types of dementias, you know, how can, you know, how can we bring hope to people living with this disease and their families? I think that's a a wonderful comment, and I certainly would agree with it. I think it has sort of to do with attitude. If you're looking at what's wrong, um, Mm -hmm. hope kind of gets squished out of the picture. Mm -hmm. If you look at what's going on and what are the things you can still enjoy in life, then there's hope. So, you know, the person with Alzheimer's may not be able to make a cup of coffee anymore, but they still can enjoy the first cup of coffee mm-hmm. in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not be able to drive anymore, but that doesn't mean they can't enjoy a wonderful drive in the countryside, especially in the fall leaves or even when a, a freshly fallen snow. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not remember what they had for breakfast, but they can certainly tell tales of what life was like uh, and what they had to eat during the recession or um, other 
parts of their life that were very meaningful uh, and that can still uh, enjoy those memories and share them with uh, those that follow. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are a whole host of things like that that one can do when one is um, doesn't have full faculties, but still a lot of life left in them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what one should focus on. And to some extent, uh, we all need to be reminded because they're living in the moment. um, And that's probably what we all should be doing instead of looking for Mm -hmm. next year, you know, next decade, Mm -hmm. um, but to be focusing on the here and now. And that's something too for, you know, just for family members, for caregivers, you know, that's, it's just tough, you know, um, they're caring 24 seven, maybe they're still working, they've got their own family and jobs. And so, um, you know, that it can be, it can be hard, it can be difficult, you know, it's, sometimes it's almost easier to, to say than do, but maybe just taking it a little bit at a time. You know, I really encourage families to, to participate in support groups and, you know, educate themselves as much as they can, be with others. I know it's kind of hard right now, but um, like you mentioned earlier in the in the podcast about the Alzheimer's Association, it's a great website, um, good resources, good information. There's blogs out there. So there are there are things that, that families can do as well to um, to have this hope as well. Well, I'd like to finish up with, with one more topic that um, comes up a lot. Uh, for me, especially at the office, and um, and it's on driving. So, do you have um, you know any tips or you know I, I I always tell families you know have the go to the doctor and have the doctor kind of write out a prescription saying that maybe you know you shouldn't be driving anymore um, versus having the family because then it makes it so the family isn't the bad guy. Um, but you know, do you have any words? You know, what would you say to a family member that's really struggling with this on how to tell mom or dad or, you know? So um, physicians, in some cases, can uh, easily write a thing saying this person cannot drive. So, for example, if someone has a seizure, you know, in the state of Wisconsin, uh, you are not to drive and that, that one can do. Certainly if one has had a stroke and you physically can't do that, it's very easy for a physician to write to the DMV and say, this person uh, is no longer able to drive. You know? So you're able to do that. Wisconsin's able uh, to do that. You, you Now, let me clarify mm-hmm. that the people who give you your license are the Department of Motor Vehicles, and mm-hmm. they are the people who take it away from you. Mm-hmm. But as a physician, I certainly can write, you know, um, uh, optometrists could do it too in terms of, uh, the person can't see, so they can't drive. There are lots of reasons you couldn't drive. Um, now, that's not saying a physician has to, but one certainly could write the DMV saying because of this or that condition, they are no longer able to drive. Uh, in the case of dementia, it's often a little trickier because they're having problems, but that doesn't mean they can't drive. And in those cases, they really need to be evaluated by DMV, mm-hmm. uh, a road test, a written test, what really is going on. And certainly there are people, especially in early stages of dementia, uh, who are perfectly safe drivers. Uh, on the other hand, we all know there are people who aren't demented who aren't safe drivers. Mm-hmm. So you can't right. always base it just <laughs> on that. Um, but the bigger thing is um, once it is determined that someone is not safe to drive, 
you really have to do more than just have the DMV say that because, you know, this is a problem with memory uh, so that if they get the letter from DMV saying, no, you can no longer drive, if in their mind they think they can still drive and the car's in the driveway, Mm -hmm. nothing's going to stop them from getting back in the car. Mm -hmm. And this is where family members have to be creative. I've had um, people where their license has been taken away, but the car is still there, so they get in the car. I've had them where they've even sold the car and the uh, person just went out and got a new car. Mm -hmm. Um, So that there's... um, you have to be uh, creative on how you do that. On the other hand, most people would tell you, you really want to avoid confrontation. So if it's a husband and wife, especially if it's the husband who is now demented, uh, you don't want to have every time he decides he wants to go downtown to get a newspaper that it's a big fight with he and the wife about, well, yes, Mm -hmm. I can drive. And no, you can't. They took away your license. No, they didn't. They don't know what they're talking Mm -hmm. about. There has to be uh, a solution that uh, will minimize that conflict. And uh, this is where thinking outside the box, being creative, um, comes in handy. Um, so some have disabled the car, some have uh, sold the car, some have, well, we're going to do that tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, something that diffuses the uh, situation is, mm-hmm. is very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a a pretty big topic, and I know that we could probably keep talking about a whole lot of other things, um, Dr. Hamlin. So just to to end our conversation today, is there anything you'd like to say about your clinic or anything else that that we missed today? Well, I know with COVID, it makes it very difficult for many people, um, Mm -hmm. but um, I think we, like all clinics, are uh, try our level best to do it in a very safe manner, wearing mask, eye gear, um, and, you know, delaying something a couple months is one thing, but we've been into this now going on eight months. And so um, we are open. And um, if you need to be evaluated, we are here for you. Great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and talking about this topic. And maybe we can do this again sometime. So thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. This is Tom from Volume 1. Thanks again to Lisa and to her guest. And thanks to you for joining us for the Journey Ahead podcast, Aging Well in the Chippewa Valley. Volume 1 presents this podcast in partnership with the Aging and Disability Resource Center of Eau Claire County. And it's all made possible by Grace Home Respiratory and All-Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions. Learn more about this and our other podcasts at volume1.org.